You ever wonder why life just can't be easy? Don't you kind of want it to be easy? I do. I just kind of want it to work out the way it's supposed to work out. That the things that are set before me just kind of fall into place. And voila! There we go. After all, God is in charge and God loves me, so why don't things work out? Um, and I know, this is a, a difficult conversation to have, and it especially uh, requires maturity on your part. Because immature people don't like this. And sadly, I find myself often in that camp of immature people, because I don't like it either. I want to stomp my foot and pout and get my way. Now I know I'm in my early 50s <coughs> ish and, um, and I should be past that, right? But honestly, most days I'm not past that. And so when I talk to you, a lot of times I hear in your voice that you're not past that either. Because you're tired of this and you wish it was different. Why doesn't God just come in and fix this? Right? So, why not? Because that's not the way God works. We've been, we've been sold a bill of goods that's different than this. There is a way that things work. This universe has rules. Watch this. Every time I drop my keys, they will fall to the ground just like that. Won't they? There's a rule. It's called gravity. It works that way. There are ways that things work in this world. Now, <clears throat> in my 50-ish condition, when my keys end up on the floor, something else kicks in. It's a long way down there for me to get those keys. I don't like that. I want it to be easy. Here, my, I got my keys back. I don't want to have to look around and circle them a time or two to pick up my keys. You young people don't understand, but you will if you live long enough. <laughs> There's a way things work. And it, by the way, it would be nice if it was an easy way to figure out the way things work. But it's in fact a deep mystery, the way things work. It is very complicated. I would like it to be simple. I would like things to work out the way I think they should work out. But they don't. So, there's this thing we build houses with. It's called a two-before. It's wood. It's rigid. It's sturdy. It's strong. And we build houses with it. Because it is rigid, sturdy, and strong, we can build houses with it. As a matter of fact, this building contains two-befores that hold it up. And so when a two-before is used for that purpose, it is rigid and strong and sturdy and, and very hard. Now, if someone were to swing that same two-before at your head, it would still be rigid, sturdy, and strong. Or if you were to take that two-before and drop it on your toe, you might pray to God, Oh God, here comes the two-before, make it soft. Now, I'm not going to tell you that God, in his infinite ability and creativity, and in his infinite wisdom, is not able to make the two before soft. 
Because I can turn to, to examples in Scripture of where God changed the properties of something for a purpose. But if you're counting and your plan is when you drop the two before on your foot, that God is going to change that into something nice and soft, you're going to be disappointed most days. Now, I'm picking a two before because it's an impersonal object and we all understand it. And we don't ever go out to drop a two before on our foot. But the same rules and the same laws applies to all kinds of things. And when you mishandle something and treat it improperly, you won't get the results you want out of that. Um, one, of, one of those things is your body. Right? As, as I live day by day by day, my body gets older and older and older and stiffer and weaker and it creaks around and I can't hear and I can't smell and what? I can't see. All of those things, they, it breaks down. That will happen to you. It happens to everyone eventually. I, I wish it didn't. I could pray and ask God to change my body so it did not age. Do you think he'd honor that prayer? I don't either. Because it's the way things work. It's a rule. Now I get tired of the rules. I want it to change. I want the pain to go away. I want the strength to come back. I want my relationships to be easy. I loved you yesterday. I love you today. There, that's enough. Done. Doesn't work that way, does it? There's a way things work. Um, when we kick against the system, right? When we push back and say, but I don't want it to be this way. First off, we sound like five-year-olds. This is the hard part of this, right? You're not five-year-olds. You're mature adults. Kings and queens in the kingdom of heaven. And not liking the way it's working out is an okay thing. But thinking that somehow God is just going to swoop in and fix things, it doesn't happen. You know that. Why is that? Well, all right, now, oh great, here he comes with this again. We live in a world at war. I don't like that either. I want peace. I want peace. I want it to be over. You know, I like Lord of the Rings and the Hobbits and the little garden shire and the party. I want that. I want the picnic party every day. Um, great. We all want that. But that's not the world we live in today. The world we live in today is a world at war. But wait a minute, Tony. Last week... Jesus rose from the dead, and he has victory over death, and everything is life and resurrection, right? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. But here's the bad news for you. Yes, but not yet. I only have one verse this morning because I'm trying to keep this quick, so I'm hurrying here. I didn't even put it on the board, so you're going to have to trust me that 1 Corinthians 15, 24 says this. Then the end will come. When he hands over the kingdom to the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Jesus is supreme. Jesus is in control. He has authority. But he is in the process of putting his enemies under his feet. 
It's a process. One by one by one, the enemies of the kingdom are being placed under Jesus' feet. It hasn't happened yet. It will eventually, all of them will be under his feet. And that's when verse 24 comes in. Then the end will come. And when he, Jesus, will hand the kingdom over to God the Father. For he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. He has destroyed, meaning he is now doing that now. That's the world we live in. Jesus is the overcomer and is above all things. And he is in the process of taking all of these things and putting them under his feet. But it's not done yet. That's the war we live in. Oh, I want it to be done too. And that day is coming. The new kingdom will come and we will all be in that new kingdom. But until then... We live in a world at war. Now I want you to think about some war-torn areas of the world. We don't live in one today, right? We don't see it as that. We live in a land of peace and prosperity. But that's a lie. This is not a land of peace and prosperity. There is a war going on. But think about a real war. And you see the houses are blown up and the windows are out of the building and the, the electricity and the water, they're not consistent and steady. People's view of everything changes, doesn't it? Instead of being concerned about their favorite TV show and if the grass is mowed properly, they're concerned about a much different level of things. Right? Staying alive. Making it to Tomorrow. Gaining victory over the enemy. The enemy will not win. We will overcome. Because there's a struggle. When you and I approach the world with the Bilbo's uh, picnic version of the world. Where we want fireworks and, and fireflies and uh, hot dogs. We are slapped in the face with the reality of this war that's going on. Do you believe and know that there's a war going on? That there are casualties every day. Um, why is the war going on? Why did God make it this way? <laughs> Come on! Can't it just be different? Well, no. It can't. God created a world where love was central and key. Now here's the thing about love. In order to find out if people love, you have to give people choice and the ability to not love. Now we all like the ability to choose. I like freedom. I like being able to choose and do what I want to do, don't you? <clears throat> Having the ability to choose introduces us to the world of consequences for our actions and choices. Smarter people than me have a term for this. They call it the dignity of causation. The dignity of causation. What that means is, God loves you and respects you enough that he lets you choose to cause things to happen. And he does that because he loves you and wants to give you dignity. What's the alternative? Well, puppets. Puppets. Move us around, make me say and do what he wants me to do. 
Do puppets have dignity? No, not at all. Now, so we've said this in many different ways, and I've said it like this, that not everything that happens is God's will. And I know the first time you heard that, it was quite a shock. So I keep saying it and saying it and saying it because it's very critical and key that you know that not everything that happens is God's will. Yes, God is sovereign. But not everything that happens on this world is God's will. Let me give you an example. Do people sin? Uh, Yes. You know what it says in James? God causes no one to sin. Therefore, when you sin, it is not God's will. Now, do you believe that your sin has consequences? We know that there are wages involved with sin, and ultimately death is the result of sin. But there's many, many other consequences to sin. If I kill your mother, murder her, you're going to spend the rest of your life with the consequences of your mother being gone. And I'm going to spend the rest of my life with the consequences of having taken someone's life innocently. They were innocent, not me. Consequences. Now, that's one area that we've thought about before. Sin. Let me tell you another area. And this is where this gets even more uncomfortable. If not everything that happens is God's will. And God has given you the ability to choose. And because he loves you and is wanting you to be dignified in everything you do. He gives you the opportunity and the ability to reject him on a daily basis. You can choose to follow him and you can choose to not. Now wouldn't it be much easier if he would just take that option away? No. Because you then would become a puppet. As would everyone else. And you would not have the ability to choose him. You would be a victim of God. It doesn't work that way. So just as not everything that happens is God's will, and when you sin, there are consequences to that. When you do righteous things, there are consequences to that. Here's where this starts to tie into what uh, the Gideon speaker, Mike Pangburn, had to say today. How do people become followers of Jesus? How do they get faith? Well, Paul said that people get faith, they believe in Jesus Christ by hearing. And how do people hear? Because somebody else speaks. And why do people speak? Because they are sent out. Alright, I don't know if you get what I'm saying here. People believe in Jesus Christ because they hear. God could have said, alright, may I have your attention please? And God could announce through any number of ways the word, the gospel to every man, woman, boy and girl alive today. He could communicate the gospel to everybody at one time so that everyone could hear, right? But he doesn't. And he never has. And he's not going to. Because he had a different plan. You know what the plan is? You do it. You do it. Tony, 
You do it. Do you understand the dignity of causation? That means that if I choose to not do it, I didn't follow the call of being sent, so I didn't preach, so this person didn't hear, so this person didn't believe, so this person died in their sin, an unbeliever. Now what do you think of free will and choice? Your free will, your choices, impact this world in a mighty, mighty way. Does that mean it's all up to me, Tony? Well, in one way, yes it is. Yes it is. C.S. Lewis said this, He, God, seems to do nothing of himself which he can possibly delegate to his creatures. He commands us to do slowly and blunderingly what he could do perfectly in the twinkling of an eye. <coughs> Creation seems to be delegation through and through. What God could do in the twinkling of an eye of telling the whole of creation the truth about Jesus, he instead says, you go tell him. Which, by the way, makes me want to whine even more and get off of the merry-go-round even quicker. Wait, it's up to me? Well, I can't do it without God. And God won't do it without me. I, I know. I don't like it either. It's way too much pressure. I'd rather just sit on the couch and watch TV. Maybe eat ice cream. Wouldn't that be better? If you're five. Not if you're an adult. But I don't want to grow up. Yeah, you do. And you have. And you are. And you're an important, critical piece in the kingdom. Because God has called you, and he has equipped you, and he has sent you out. Now, um, there's just so many things that God puts us in charge of. And I, li I would like it to be some other way, right? Some things are, quote, magical. Like my body gets worn out. And at nighttime, for me, I go in and lay in my bed. And somehow I lose consciousness for several hours. And I wake up and my body has been restored in some ways, right? I've recovered. I've recouped and I'm ready to go out. And man, I love that that works that way. Well, why couldn't have God done the same with food? Now, when I sleep, I wake up and I don't need nutrition. Well, he could have, right? He could have made me that way, that I don't need to eat, that food doesn't need to be prepared, that crops don't need to be grown. He could have done all that, but he did not. He gave me that responsibility to feed my body. And if I don't feed my body, and if I don't feed it the right things, I suffer the consequences of that. 
It's not just food that I'm talking about. It's all kinds of things. That if I don't do the things that God has laid out for me to do to take care of things, they don't happen. Um, I don't know what the title of this sermon is. Um, I called it Life is Hard. Maybe it is grow up and take the responsibility that God has given you. Now, here's the problem with this, and I'm about done. Well, if what you're saying is true, Tony, and things are up to me, I got to get to work. I got some things I got to do. And so we're going to do this, and we're going to do this, and then this is going to happen, and this is going to happen, and I want it to be done like this, and make this happen, and make this happen. And you know what? God will let you do that. Because of the dignity of causation, because of free will, He will let you take the reins and try to make this all work on your own. He will let you. And hopefully, you will fail quickly and abandon that. But sadly, many of you are very good at that, including me. So we keep running things and doing things our way and forcing the issue and making things go. And it doesn't work well. And it doesn't, require, it doesn't yield the required results of the kingdom. And it doesn't show life and freedom. It doesn't bring out what God wants. But he'll let you. Just like the, what was the peanut butter cakes? Salted peanut butter cakes. Yeah, or, or hostess cupcakes. I need food, and I can live on hostess cupcakes and Pepsi. I can do that. And I will get the consequences of that. As a matter of fact, I did. And you can find precepts and principles and great ideas and put them into your life and you will get the consequences of that. Anybody, whether they follow Jesus or not, can change the way they handle their money and they'll reap rewards of a better financial situation. Anybody can. It won't be life and freedom and it's not eternal, but you can do that. You can change the way you raise your kids or the way you love your spouse and and you'll get benefits from that. It's not eternal, it's not kingdom, it's not from God, but you can do that. God will let you do that. But then there's the other way. The alternative way. The way that scripture lays out for us over and over and over. The Father is in the Son, and the Son is in me. The Father and the Son are one. The Son and I are one. The Father and I are one. Christ in me, the hope of glory. Jesus giving his life to me so he can live his life through me. So that I'm not in charge. I'm not in management. I don't determine how things are going to happen. Jesus does. Either I have a hold of the reins very tightly, white-knuckling control of the steering wheel, the handlebars, the reins, whatever it is you steer with. Or, I let Jesus have control of the wheel, and I hold all the things in my life with an open hand. Come to me, all you who are weary 
and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. How do you want to go about this life? You can fight, kick, plan, overcome, or you can follow Jesus into the battle. You're going to have to fight either way. This is the truth of this. I, I love the idea that coming to Jesus is easy, and it is easy. But what you're coming into is a world at war. And we all want to be on the back lines, or maybe the reporter, reporting how the war is going. Not our job. Job is to be armed and in the battle. You can't escape the battle. You put your head in the sand and ignore it. You'll die. We're in the battle. We need Jesus to fight the battle. It is a battle every day. I, this is kind of my introductory thing to a series I want to do on prayer. Because the way you think about what I just said affects the way you pray. Because either you realize that the only way things are going to change is because of your oneness, your unity with Jesus, Jesus living through you, and that he has put you in a place, a position of power and authority under his authority so that you can pray and change things. Do you believe that prayer changes things? Heavenly Father, we come today and we just, we ask, oh, Jesus, just be with us. You pray that way? That's nice. It's cute. It's like the five-year-old learning to ride the bicycle. If that's where you're at, if you're a five-year-old and you're riding a bicycle, that's, that's nice. And the Father is saying, yes, get him. You can do it. But if you're 25 and you still have the training wheels on, not so much. And if your prayers are the be with us prayers, well first, he's already with us. We don't need to pray for Jesus to be with us. He's with us. Let's pray for things we need. Okay? We're never instructed to pray for the sun to rise. Because it's going to rise. We are to pray... Your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth, as it is in heaven. Why do we pray that? Because that's not the natural order of things. We're in a world at war. Our enemy is called the prince of the ruler of the air. He's in charge of this place. I know. I just shook all your foundations of the sovereignty of God, but it's true. And I'll show you over time. In the meantime, ask God, is that true? Is Satan in charge here? Ask him, don't ask me. Ask Jesus. He'll show you. And I'll prove it over the coming weeks. But he is, and he is our enemy. And we have to pray over that to overcome that. This is battle. And asking Jesus to be with us isn't helping. Okay? We've got to grow up and pray differently. There are different ways to pray. Things that work. Because there is a way this world works. We're going to step into that over the next few weeks. Of what it's like to pray. What it means. We won't get into all the detail of it. 
just to expose some things to you. Maybe things that are different. You see, we have the mentality that, well, did you do this? Did you do that? And did you, what about this? Well, I guess all you can do now is pray. Okay, that's totally backwards. We start out by praying first. And, and there's so many verses on this, and we'll, we'll just keep going over and over. But we're supposed to pray without ceasing. That means I have the unending conversation with Jesus. Unending conversation with Jesus. And I, I ask people this all the time, and it, I know it gets old and you're tired of it. People will ask me all the time and they'll tell me their stories about all kinds of things. And I always say something to the effect of, well, did you ask Jesus? And when we're honest, most of us say, no. We ask Jesus to fix up the mess. Or we ask Jesus to bless my plans. So this is what I'm going to do, Jesus, and I really need you to come through and make this happen. See, that's upside down and backwards. More like this. Jesus, where would you have me go today? Oh, I'm going there and I see somebody coming down the street. Jesus, you want me to interact with them? Okay, what do you want me to say? Okay. This is the way it's supposed to happen, my friends. We think, our enemy has convinced us that if we just get enough wisdom, if I only knew, I'd do the right thing. Okay, we've proved over and over that's not true. And more wisdom is not going to fix that. Commitment to the leadership of Jesus Christ is. What are you going to do this afternoon? And how did you determine what that was? I can flat out say, I know the way to determine what you're going to do this afternoon. It's this. Jesus, what do you want me to do this afternoon? Now, if you don't believe that Jesus will speak to you, then you're not going to ask something like that, and you're sure not going to sit around and wait for the answer. Jesus does, in fact, speak to you. He does, in fact, it's true. He calls us sheep by name. He knows us. He speaks to us. He's your friend. He loves you. And it would be the cruelest thing in the world to expect you to do something and not communicate to you what that is. That'd be mean. It's not that way. He's loving. He's kind. And he needs you to do the things he has planned for you to do. And that means, here I am, Jesus. Send me. I'll go. I'll do it. Yes, Jesus, I'll say that. I'll go talk to them. Oh, I won't talk to them. Whatever Jesus says, right? Because what, what happens, <clears throat> I did this last time. So there's this woman sitting at the well, and I asked her if she'd ever have living water. And, and she said, oh, I want living water because I'm tired of coming out of here. And so I told her about Jesus, and she believed in Jesus. And so... There you go. That's the story. Tell people about living water and they'll accept Jesus. It's not the way it works. 
How many times did Jesus use the living water thing? Once. To one woman. There's no pattern and principles and precepts here. There's following Jesus. Following Jesus. You have to invoke and invite him into everything. He's a gentleman. He gives you dignity. I wish that he would zap me and fix me. He doesn't. He doesn't. He makes me grow. Paul wrote to children, young men, and fathers. And you might be in your mid-50s like me, early 50s, something, and still be a child in many areas of your life. And Jesus, grow me up. I want to be mature. I want to be an adult in the kingdom of heaven. The Father, right? I want to grow up. I want oneness with Jesus. I want unity. I want maturity. Don't you? Because, you know, I got grandkids and they're cute. And when they stomp their feet and scream, it's cute. For a little while. Then they go home. But when their mama, who's 30, stomps her feet and does that, it's not cute. And when their grandpa, who's almost 60, stomps his feet and does the same thing, it's for sure not cute. Right? We've got to grow up. We've got to move into maturity. It matters. The kingdom is at hand. People are dying and going to eternal damnation because we're still acting like five-year-olds. Oh, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. And in order to live this way, we have to start here. Jesus, I give my whole being to you. My heart, soul, mind, strength, everything about me, I consecrate it to you, Jesus. I am yours. I renounce and reject any claims that anyone else, including me, has made upon my body, my heart, soul, mind, or strength. I give myself to you, Jesus. You are the King. You are Lord of Lords. I place myself under you, and I ask you and invite you and give you permission to rule in me. I submit to your will. I love you with my whole being. And Jesus, as part of your kingdom, I need you to lead me. Speak to me. Guide me. Call me to you. I give my future to you and the choices I make to you, Jesus. I surrender all to you. Use me for your kingdom. Glorify yourself through the righteous, holy things that you have placed in me. Bring me up. Grow me up. Help me to be mature, to have a right view of the kingdom, the way that you have described it, Jesus. As I move forward and take my role into that, as I speak truth, as I love well, as I uh, am your hands and feet, God, send me, use me, speak through me for your glory, for your kingdom. And we bring the cross of Christ and your blood, Jesus, against our enemy, against his plans, 
against his schemes, the deception, the accusation, and condemnation that he brings. We resist, we reject, we send all of that to your feet for judgment, Jesus. Bring our enemies under your feet. And use us for good, for the good of the kingdom, because it is is good that overcomes evil. And it is through us that you are defeating those enemies and bringing them under your feet. Use us. Call us into this. Draw us to you. Make our hearts alive. Fill us a new Holy Spirit that we are drawn to you, that we cannot turn away. That is our hearts, Jesus, that you are everything. Cleanse us, purify us, restore us. Redeem us back into your place and into your kingdom. For your glory and for the salvation of the world. We pray all this in your name, Jesus, because you're the one that makes it all possible. Live through us. Do mighty things. In your name. Amen.